0: Good evening, friends. Welcome to Valley Writer's Read. I'm Franz Weinshank, your host. Delighted to be with you for another edition of our program. Tonight, one of our most prolific and popular valley writers, Fresno's own Larry Hill, has written a story for us about a couple's changing relationship. He's entitled his story, The Night We Read Carver. And so here is David Otero to read Larry Hill's story for us, The Night We Read Carver. I pray for the pain and the anger Destroyed my weak mind Oh, she wore redresses And left the wounded behind
1: The Night We Read Carver The last thing Nick Fillmore had pictured when he jumped at the chance to be a speaker at the El Cindo Writers' Conference was being stuck on a Ferris wheel with Hannah Winston, her long, black hair partially obscuring his view of the raging Pacific, its phosphorescent caps blinking in the slanting rain. Oh, Nick, she cried out, loosen up. The Ferris wheel had halted at the top of its apex, all of its lights aglow and garish in the moonless sky. For a moment, he felt as if the entire world had become a stop frame on a spool of film. He grabbed the security bar that spanned their laps and reminded himself that their suspended compartment was kept safe from going haywire by gravity. Still, he looked down and wondered if the series of gears, belts, and pulleys had been properly maintained. Jesus, Hannah! Where's the guy that operates this thing? Hannah kissed him, her mouth open and wet. Mannheim? It was just like her to have caught the guy's name. They'd wandered over here this evening from the small seaside campus after the conference's reception. Not a soul on the grounds of this jerry-built amusement park, but a few carnival types posting a sign advertising their opening tomorrow. Before he could protest her enthusiasm, Hannah had somehow talked this Mannheim guy into testing out the big wheel. Give a couple of literary gypsies a ride to break it in, was how she'd put it. Fillmore shouted into a wind laced with salty rain. What was that all about with you in the lean-to? He'd waited outside the makeshift shelter while she'd boldly strolled in to confront what looked to be a squad of roustabouts, every one of them naked to the waist in this weather, their pale flesh graphitized by tattoos. Hannah observed him with a wicked glee. She'd employed the moment they'd left the San Joaquin Valley this morning. That little spot is their candy shop. The way she said it sounded ominous. Without any specific knowledge, he thought of a place that dealt drugs to kids. Oh, for Christ's sake, he said. How do we get off this freaking thing? He peered at the huge Victorian house, out where the cliffs dropped off to the sea, and could make out the boathouse where the Quigleys, a retired banker and his Dutch wife, had offered the remodeled quarters to the conference's speakers this year. Marvin Quigley, a robust, squared-away figure of a man, "'had insisted they get together for a drink later tonight. "'His attractive wife, Elsa, had pointed to a small picnic station "'set dangerously close to what appeared to be the last bit of rock on this hemisphere. "'No matter how late,' she'd insisted. "'The seat rocked as Hannah bent forward. "'Here comes Mannheim. "'Thank God. "'Now we're going to drive to Wilson Junction with him.' "'With whom?' "'With Mannheim, silly.' HE HUNCHED HIS UPPER BODY AGAINST A FIERCE shudder. LIKE HELL WE ARE. SHE'D GONE TOO FAR, MAKING PLANS WITH A COMPLETE STRANGER. FROM THE MOMENT THEY'D HIT HIGHWAY 101, THE IDEA OF BRINGING HER WAS PROVING TO BE A CHOICE HE MIGHT REGRET. HANNAH'S FINGERS EXPLORED THE COVE BETWEEN HIS THIGHS, CAUSING THE COMPARTMENT TO TIP SEAWARD. OH, COME ON, MR. Fillmore," SHE SAID, HER WHITE TEETH FLASHING LIKE THOSE WAVE PEAKS OUT IN THE ROUGH OCEAN. DON'T BE A STICK IN THE MUD. At check-in this afternoon, he'd informed Madeline Kinney, the conference's perennial registrar, that Hannah Winston was a graduate student from UCLA who'd sat in on his class last year at Sequoia City College. Her field is zoology, he'd said, pausing to show the skeletal Ms. Kinney a merciful smile. But she wants to learn how to write fiction. Madeline had looked up from her desktop, her mouth also distorted in a rueful manner. I see you have listed her as your special guest and that the two of you will be enjoying the Quigley's hospitality. His spirits had lifted when they were shown the boathouse, and they'd taken a few minutes to freshen up from the long drive. But back at the campus, the informal dinner in the cafeteria hadn't gone well. He should have made it clear to Hannah how important these next two days were to him. He'd finally, after winning the 2010 Westward Fiction Prize been invited to moderate a panel tomorrow and read his winning story at the fireside presentation Sunday night. They'd tramped from table to table in the crowded space. Abe Melba, the agent he'd hoped to meet up with, appeared too mesmerized by Hannah's flowing hair and tight designer jeans to even acknowledge him. And the dozen other people, important people he could now talk to on a new, more equal level. They looked at him like he'd brought his daughter or niece or was in truth using his small bump of fame to ravage a student, or worse, act as her pimp. A book illustrator he'd befriended at this and other conferences had commented on his sweater. Makes you look years younger, Fillmore, he'd commented. No nice going on the prize, Nick. No nothing. Same type of snub from Evelyn Glassmeyer, a pretty magazine editor, probably well over 50 now. At this same venue a few years ago, they'd attempted a round of sex, sandwiched between discussions about ex-spouses, kids not fully grown, the hell divorce could rot. We should catch up, he told her, while retrieving glasses of wine for Hannah and him, not really meaning it this time. Sure, Nick, she'd said, turning away from him, to greet a Berkeley publisher of California writers who'd rejected every manuscript Fillmore had sent him. And he should have refused the ride on the big wheel. And now this trip to Wilson Junction? He certainly should have said no to that. Mannheim's vehicle smelled of taco sauce, sweet whiskey, smoldering hemp, wet dogs, and body funk. All present in the gutted interior of this van, the bastard child Fillmore had decided of an ancient hippie bus and a wood-shuttered lunch wagon. Yeah, Yes, there were the window planks rattling above a propane stove. A pair of restless mongrel mutts jumped over his and Hannah's outstretched legs as they sat, teeth chattering from the panel's vibrations against their spines. Up front, Mannheim fought the wheel. What looked to be the carnival's strongman rode shotgun. The road twisted ahead between towering conifers that rose against the headlights from dense canyons far below, one blind turn following another. The van banked. One of the dogs slid across the flooring into Hannah's lap. Lightning showcased Mannheim and his enforcer's features above the front seat. The windshield wipers whipped a warning cry before the crack of thunder. "'Damn!' shouted Mannheim, one eye cocked at Fillmore. "'That one crawl up into your groin back there, bud!' Strongman popped a couple of beers, handed them back to Hannah. Fillmore had a disarming vision of metal slamming into timber, flowing black hair, a lovely arched neck, muscled and tattooed flesh, A brand-new crew-neck sweater, ripped and swathed in crimson, all deep and forgotten for all time on the forest's floor. I told you, he said to Hannah, watching her throat muscles work on a swallow of beer. This trip is dangerous even in the daylight, and the return trip is worst. Christ, Hannah, we'll never make it back for a drink with the Quigleys. It's not even eight o'clock, she said. Back home, the sun is still out. She handed him the other beer. Drink up. You're the one who always talks about how a rider must get out of his comfort zone. Both dogs moved over next to him. Drops of their saliva fell on the back of his hand as he poured a dash of beer in what looked to be their water bowl. They chased it with lapping tongues as it slid from side to side. The van's engine revved like an airplane stalling and starting in air drafts and currents before an inevitable tailspin. Up front, strongman broke out in song. Operatic or Roy Orbison. Yes, he'd put on sunglasses and had angled his head up. In the lights of a truck coming at them, only his shaved scalp and crushed nose shone in the van's cab as he sang, Crying Over You, so high and mighty, Hannah fired up her bick and waved it to and fro. Fillmore drained his beer. The dog with the shaggiest hair jumped between his knees and licked his face. The other two men seemed to relish the pandemonium. Hannah had screamed twice, but when he hurried to wrap his arm around her shoulder, she closed her eyes and began to giggle uncontrollably. After what seemed hours of endless terror, Fillmore felt the van slow and swerve to a bumpy stop. Here we are, folks, Mannheim said. Tillies, dance and billiards. Fillmore had never felt comfortable in joints like this. A sense of loneliness bore down on him as he reached for Hannah's hand. At first they followed Mannheim and Strongman, the crowd parting a bit, their men are curious. Men in Levi's, belt buckles the size of their fists, faces weathered into stony handsomeness, tipped western hats and gracefully made room for Hannah, while dead-eyeing the strong man. What's with you, their expression read. We outwork and outdrink your kind every day. Women with fluffed hair smiled as they passed by, their flannel shirts unbuttoned to show cleavage, their jeans packed wider in the ass than the men's. Fillmore yanked Hannah past the long bar to an empty table. Its wooden surface varnished uncountable times to seal years of abuse. Here, he said. Let's sit for a minute. Time to straighten her out, he thought. Get her aboard the program before they strayed too far off course. What about Mannheim? she asked. I'm sure he can do without us for now. He ordered a pitcher of beer from a wandering waitress who smelled of strong soap and talcum. No. The talc odor came from the raised parlor behind them, a pool player shaking baby powder into his palm and running it along his cue. What's wrong? Hannah's eyes must have found something in his. You know that guy? No. But there was something about the young shark, something he envied. Something past his time, unreachable now. The kid's pretty slick, though. He watched him strike the cue ball the sure way his hands kept the stick poised above the green felt as a striped ball dove into a corner pocket. See what I mean? Music he remembered from his youth in Bakersfield snuck down from the tavern's exposed rafters. Hannah leaned forward, her face flared by the neon beer signs. Knowledge, she said. What? Knowledge of the way he did that. She smiled at the pool player, who'd stopped and glanced her way. "'It's the thing you taught me to always be on the alert for, remember? "'You called it author integrity, "'being constantly on the lookout for what is unfamiliar "'so you can write convincingly about the matter "'should the occasion come up.' "'Jesus, you sound like you're reading aloud "'from one of my class handouts.' "'They both sat back as the waitress placed a pitcher "'and two mugs between them. "'She waved away his bill. "'The carnival man paid for it. "'He looked.' but couldn't find Mannheim or Strongman among the crowd. "'Tell him thanks,' Hannah said. Fillmore drank his beer, feeling warmer, more attuned to the surroundings. This wasn't bad sitting here. Hannah had put on her black-rimmed glasses that made her appear so studious. "'You look like last summer,' he told her. "'The beach.' First time we made love,' she said. "'Like in my story.' He raised his eyes. "'as if his prize-winning manuscript was readable "'on the point rack above the pool tables. "'Yeah, like in your story. "'But not the same.' "'Certainly not,' she said. "'Your protagonist was fictional.' "'She refilled their mugs from the pitcher. "'I'm real.' "'You certainly are.' "'A moment passed. "'His blood rushed between his eardrums. "'Dwight Yoakam sang about a black-haired woman "'who wore red dresses, "'the melody speaking of Mexico.' "'of tragic revenge. "'Would you call that a waltz, Miss Winston?' "'I would, Mr. Fillmore.' "'He stood and extended his hand. "'She rose so smoothly, so full of natural grace, "'he caught his breath. "'To the plaintive notes of an amplified bass guitar, "'they teamed up and glided onto the small, crowded dance floor. "'He heard what he knew to be Mannheim and Strongman "'yip in harmony to the saddest notes he'd ever heard. "'This is nice,' he whispered, knowing that he was an intruder, that he had no real intelligence of boots, cowboy hats, and huge belt buckles over narrow waists. Did I tell you I entered the short fiction contest, Hannah said? For the conference. Well, I hope so, he said. I'm the one who encouraged you to send them a story. One you'd not edited. The jukebox guitar played on into a night far from here, a black and distant void he pictured way down the coastline, where he'd never been. You sent them a story without having me go over it first? I didn't have time, she said. Fillmore had managed to survive the twisting descent from Wilson Junction, sipping whiskey supplied by Mannheim. Hannah had smoked weed and wailed country songs with Strongman until the dogs barked them down. Watching the van chug away on the road leading to the carnival grounds, he turned to Hannah. That was a drug run, he said. More like a drug pickup. I stand corrected. Knowledge? Right. He looked off at the big wheel, its size exaggerated by the way its lights played against the stark night. The rain had stopped. He felt Hannah's warmth as she leaned into him. It's late, he said. We should retire to our bunk in the boathouse. She broke from him and strolled toward the massive shape of the Quigley Victorian home. "'I think I see someone out on the point.' "'It's way too late,' he said, "'and way too cold.' "'But she was right. "'As if marking the end of the continent, two figures in bulky warm-ups waved vigorously, "'their voices faint and forlorn. "'Hey!' he shouted. "'Damned if he'd let Hannah walk away to meet them without him.' "'Miss chilled his face as he caught up with her. "'From his left, a muffled roar rose from the sheer cliff.' Out at sea, lightning flickered, and an unreal percussion followed that Fillmore felt in his heart. He staggered for a moment and then righted himself. Hannah reached back and clutched his hand. Look, she said, and there it was, a drop of hundreds of feet, certain death only inches away. One more step, and his presence at the 2010 El Cindo Writers' Conference would be nothing more than a note in his obituary. Right over here, Quigley called out, "'You'll be safe with us,' he held up a bottle. "'And we have cognac to keep you warm.' Elsa Quigley, her platinum hair showing under a floppy hat, lifted a nautical-looking lamp off the metal table to light the seating arrangement. "'Sit here, Mr. Fillmore. I want you to tell me all about your writing.' His back to the ocean, he noticed that a light had been turned on in the Victorian's lower floor, displaying, through the most seaward pentagon of glass, the muted colors of imported woods and classical fabrics, tones and hues of this theater so different than the rough-shod carnival repertory which she'd just escaped. Elsa Quigley's voice joined the wind again. I write something every day, she said. My husband is always asking me why and what I'm writing, and I never know how to answer him. Writing is nostalgia, Fillmore said. If it's about what you've really experienced, it is memoir. If it's about what you think you've experienced, what you've secretly wished you've experienced, it's fiction. He drank the cognac, felt it fire in his blood. He wanted to say more, but nothing came to him. After a silence, Hannah said, You better write that one down, Nick. His mind had wheeled down to a near halt. Marvin Quigley's voice spun in a freezing gust. Something about international banking in answer to Hannah's probing. Something so strange to him, Elsa Quigley must have caught it, for she had placed a gloved hand upon his as her husband droned on about a world far from his experience. Saturday morning, Fillmore entered the cafeteria, hoping to find something to ease his hangover. His mouth felt so dry he could barely mumble good morning to the young woman standing behind the obviously depleted food line. Frittata, she said, working a yellowish square onto his plate with a spatula. She looked into his eyes, then glanced at his name tag. Ice water, coffee, tea, juice, fruit, and homemade cookies are at the end of the line, Mr. Fillmore. Very few people were in the facility. Strange, he thought. The panels were scheduled for 10.30, an hour away. Balancing his tray while toting his briefcase, he walked outside and found a redwood table off the patio with a view of the ocean. He sat, wondering how everything had gotten so screwed up. When he'd awakened an hour ago, Hannah had already left the boathouse. Just enough of her leaving strewn about to indicate, at least for a period of time, she'd slept with him. Hi, Nick. He looked straight into the sun. Oh, hi, Evelyn. Sorry, the glare blinded me for a second. Evelyn Glassmeyer set her conference book bag on the table and sat opposite him. Déjà vu, he thought, as a memory hit him. Evelyn, same rust-colored hair pale skin, that feeling of unrest she gave off. Christ, the same cardigan sweater. Her smile looked stiff. Almost didn't recognize you out here, dark shades and cap. He removed them. Hangover and going bald. Good to see you anyway. You too. Congratulations on your prize. I couldn't find the journal anywhere, but I found your story on their website. Thanks. Nothing about reading his story and damned if he'd ask nice going also on being a presenter here this year she looked off at the sea and then back at him i see your friend won the conference's fiction prize what your friend hannah winston why had he uttered the name like an oath it's posted on the board nick you didn't know i knew she'd emailed her entry he guzzled water trying to look pleased you hurry evelyn said she's reading in the library He silently admonished himself for not checking the schedule of events, posted throughout the small sprawl of single-story buildings. Washing down a bite of cookie with a swallow of water, he began fumbling with the hand grip on his worn leather case. The night we read Carver. What? That's the name of her winning story. Christ. Evelyn took his elbow, her grip firm. Come on, I'm sure we can sneak in and find a seat in the back. A short walk took them past the library's windows. He stared straight ahead. From inside, should anyone be looking, he must look like a man blind and disabled the way Evelyn Glassmeyer kept jerking him into a straight path. The double-glass doors were open to the calm morning air, and he realized that the sky had cleared over the brilliant blue Pacific behind him. His body felt like it had been pierced by thousands of deadly darts. Evelyn directed him to a seat mercifully close to a draft that supplied him with oxygen. He felt her fingers dig into his shoulders as she stood behind him. When he managed to lift his eyes, he saw Hannah, standing not that far away, her manuscript pages stacked in front of her on a lectern, smile in the corner of her eyes, as she adjusted her glasses, both of her lovely hands framing her face. "'Phew,' she said. "'I thought for a minute there I was going to have to start without Nicholas Fillmore.' "'My fellow gypsy.' "'She smiled directly at him. "'And mentor,' she added. "'A moment rose and fell. "'Same as it always did, Fillmore thought, "'in that hush before readings, "'when everyone listens for the first notes of a story, "'and for what voice will rise from beneath the mere words. "'As aggravated and wounded as he felt, "'he found himself being swept into Hannah's viewpoint character, "'into Peter, a teacher who's invited Anne,' a student twenty years younger than he, to a beach read over the weekend break. Hell, Peter was him. Every bold stroke, every subtle nuance. Yet it wasn't him. Not really. That's not me, he thought, feeling a tear of sweat traverse his backbone. This character is at the same time both truer and more fictional than I am. When it became clear that Anne the story's antagonist, was as guilty in her motives as Peter, Fillmore heard the laughter, felt the eyes of many in the room land on him. But what a character Hannah had created! A man who posed rather than acted. A dragging pain in the ass, was what Ann had called him, who, when he feels he has the advantage, contains a quiet sorcery about him. Still, Hannah had magically preserved her main character's dignity. Enough that at the story's conclusion, everyone within her voice seemed rapt on Peter gaining a piece of what he wanted. They wished even more, Fillmore was sure, that Peter change, move from the ballooned figure of of a man to one wiser in his leaner image, a man drained by Anne, but not defeated. During the enthusiastic applause, he felt Evelyn Glassmeyer's cheek brush his as she leaned over his shoulder, Ever hear so much affection for such a flawed character, she whispered. Somehow he managed to get out of his chair, stand in line, and finally congratulate Hannah. Great job, he told her, barely able to squeeze the words through his tight esophagus. Then, without waiting for her reply, he hustled off to the panel presentation, an hour of torture in which the moderator seemed hard-pressed to call on him every chance she could. There you are. Hannah had crept to his side, joining him in gazing down into the breaking surf. He turned to see her dark hair, the wind sweeping it across the whiteness of her oval face and slender neck. Careful, he said. It's not too solid this close to the edge. What happened to you? Her hand found his. I couldn't find you for lunch. I came back here. He jerked his thumb over his shoulder at the boathouse. To go over the stories I'm evaluating in about twenty minutes. Any of them any good? Nothing close to yours. As I read it, at times I thought it sounded mean. Her hand squeezed his. If you want to push me into the rocks below, I'll understand. I might jump, he said, alone. Or take me with you. Ready? She (laughs) laughed. Sure. That's gutsy. It's just knowing your character. How'd you get so smart? Listening to you. He looked off at the big wheel, revolving in the bright sun. A few cars had parked in the vast lot. Recorded calliope music spun high above the scene. Well, you did a job on me, but I'd never consider it a revenge piece. That's why it was so well received. First time I've tried writing in a man's point of view. You pulled it off. He walked her along firmer ground. Did you come from the carnival? Yeah. Yeah. Going on another run with Mannheim? She halted and leaned against him, her smell warm and fragrant. He's asked me to drive north with him. He felt his knees go weak. Pain in one surely an indicator of bone-on-bone arthritis. Humboldt County. Yeah, how'd you know? Out of your comfort zone. He kissed the part in her hair. You're leaving me to search for a story. "'taking advantage of everything he'd tried so hard to teach her. "'He offered Evelyn Glassmeyer a ride "'to the conference's concluding program "'of wine and confectionaries in the Wellington home. "'The late Martha Wellington, a poet of modest renown, "'had left the rambling whiteboard house "'to Madeline Kinney, the conference's registrar. "'Fillmore was both heartened and apprehensive "'to see that several people had stayed for the affair. "'Most had dined in town at one of the town's seafood restaurants.' buoyant now, they came from their vehicles to test the worn stones that led to an oversized screened veranda that faced the forest. Two electric heaters helped keep everyone warm while they drank, nibbled, and chatted. Looks like quite a few are here for you, Evelyn said, handing him a glass of wine. Are you nervous? He downed the wine with chocolate-covered almonds. Not too bad. And that was the truth. He'd revised his prize-winning story a bit believing that a story was a growing thing until its author's death. Besides, who would know or care? And it had taken less than a hundred words, slipped in here or there to make it, what, more honest? Yes, but deleting those little pieces that seemed so special when he'd first written them. That's what had helped the most. Christ, how many times had he warned his students about goosebump prose, how it should be killed during the first edit? The mystery novelist, Rita Ramirez, approached him, white teeth flashing. Break a leg, Fillmore. Reminded now how Ramirez's eyes had warmly regarded him during the panel and how she'd interrupted the Berkeley publisher's blather, he said, I just might do that, feeling at the same time light-headed and bolstered. Soon he stood in front of what looked to be the same lectern Hannah had used this morning in the college library. Behind him... A fire in the main room's huge rock fireplace warmed the back of his legs. In front of him, rows of faces bobbed and settled like flotsam. He knew these faces in a part of him, like members of a tribe recognize their own ilk subconsciously, with little or no contact. Riders, he moved his hand as if sewing the word above his audience and shook his head side to side. Who would go through what we do? A small, ambivalent reaction to this question whisks through his audience. Now he begins to read his story, while at the same time, during the same breath, actually, think of his own narrative. So sure he is of his protagonist, a young woman he's named Laura, he knows he can convey her story, tell it from the pages in front of him, and at the same time see himself on the edge of a half-mile drop to an ominous sea. Yes, there he is, outlined against the gray sky, He has to pause for a nearly untraceable second or two at this picture of himself in another scene. Another story, apart and far from this one he holds in his sure-fingered grip, as he begins to fall. I was
0: all right for a while. I could smile. David Otero reading The Night We Read Carver by Larry Hill. From the beginning, we note the relationship between Nick Fillmore and his girlfriend, Hannah. They both came to the El Sindo Writers' Conference, where Fillmore was scheduled to read a story he had written. But in almost every way, Hannah seems to outdo and outshine him. First of all, he wasn't all that thrilled To go with her and a couple of workers from the entertainment park to a roadhouse in Wilson Junction, hardly a place to discuss the fine points of literature. And then the fact that Hannah, whom he had tutored and mentored, had won a prize for her story, which she read, certainly helped to deflate his ego. The conference is being held on the Quigley Estate right next to the Pacific Ocean where at one point there's a drop-off of several hundred feet right down to the bounding surf. Certain death only inches away, Fillmore thinks to himself as he gets up to read. One more step and his presence at the conference would be nothing more than a note in his obituary. At which point he starts to read his story. Remember now, he's reading right next to that 200-foot drop-off to the ocean below. And now I'm quoting directly from the very end of the story, quote, he has to pause for nearly an untraceable second or two at this picture of himself in another scene, another story apart and far from the one he holds in his sure-fingered grip as he begins to fall. And so my question is, Is he really falling down that 200-foot drop, or is that just maybe happening in his mind? You decide. Friends, Larry Hill, the talented writer of our story tonight, is the author of a prominent story collection entitled Saroyan's Bookie, which is shortlisted for the Saroyan International Prize for Fiction. Not only that... But another story from that collection, entitled Tranquility, was nominated for a Pushcart Award. We congratulate Larry for these publications and his well-deserved recognition. And, of course, we hope we can prevail on him to send us more of his fiction for next year. And so we come to the end of another edition of Valley Writer's Read. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to listen to tonight's or any other Valley Writer's Read story again, just go online to kvpr.org and link up with archived audio. Next week, our author will be C.B. Mosier. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinchenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinshank. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read.